spit. Was it spiders? Yeah, there's spiders in his neck. Uh, except he got a spider bite, but it turns out the spider legs ate, laid eggs in there or something, and all these baby spiders popped out of his neck. Yeah. Don't let baby spiders pop out of your neck. Or don't let a spider lay eggs in your neck. Yeah, that's good. Don't let a spider lay eggs in your neck. Until next week, don't fuck a guy with spiders. Until next week, don't fuck a guy. Fargong Conclusion, a podcast covering every episode of the FX TV show Fargo. I'm Tiffany. And I'm Cody, and this week we'll be talking about Season 1, Episode 3, A Muddy Road. Hey, Tiffany! <laughs> Since you're watching for the first time, what did you think of this episode? This was a <laughs> wild episode. Um, I didn't like when the dog died. Um, oh, King. But I did kind of love the the mindfuckery going on with Lauren and that final scene. I also really loved the shooting scene. It just mm-hmm. was I don't know. Really a lot of stylistic choices there. Yeah. To um kind of send the episode off, which I thought were really fun and not totally necessary, so yeah, I, I agree. I would say that this is the first episode where, although this episode has a lot of dark points, this is the first episode that has, like, feel-good moments in it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, that's true, too. <laughs> All right, before we break it down, this episode aired on April 29th, 2014. This one was also written by Noah Hawley and directed by Randall Einhorn. He only does... Um, two more episodes of Fargo, but he had done uh, Wilfred, It's Always Sunny, The Muppets. Hmm. So quite quite the range here. His name reminds me of Ace Ventura Pet Detective. Remember that? Not the enough Einhorn. to. <laughs> uh, well, did you ever watch Wilfred? I watched some of it. I didn't, I don't think I finished. Such a weird show. The Australian version and the American version, and Elijah Wood is so good in it. I feel like Elijah Wood and Daniel Radcliffe and Robert Pattinson are all just trying to outdo each other for (laughs) weirdest roles after having been at the forefront of a very popular teen... uh, yeah, and it's kind of interesting because yeah, like since they were, since all three of them were in like those gigantic movies, they kind of all just get to do whatever they want now. Yeah, you know, and they they make some great choices. <laughs> it's Wilfred. really interesting to to see what they do. <laughs> Who's your favorite out of the three? It has to be Daniel Radcliffe. I yeah. was obsessed with Harry Potter, mm. and I recently watched or sorry, listen to an episode of a Bachelor recap where he was a guest. What? And it was phenomenal to hear him talking oh about God. The Bachelor. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> no shade to the actual host of that, but I would love a podcast with just him talking oh about 
he's all about the bachelor you're all about the bachelor yeah oh my god i go i go deep not to offend you but actually uh my favorite's elijah wood with robert pattinson in a close second place i don't think i've seen robert pattinson in enough things post twilight have you but seen I've... good time on netflix no Ooh, you gotta watch that he's amazing in it and he's gonna be fucking bruce wayne soon and i hear that movie's gonna be good yeah it should be should be interesting I'll keep up with all three of their careers exactly. at some point. They're I haven't all just even great seen. Guys. I haven't even watched all of Lord of the Rings, so that's on my list at some point. I haven't either. I actually just brought this up last night when I was hanging out at Justin and Kim's that I, uh, just to piss people off, I've seen all the Hobbits but none of the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> just to piss people off. <laughs> I used to fall asleep every single time someone would have put Lord of the Rings movie on, but it's now so I'm much. going really deep in fantasy world building, so I figure it's worth <laughs> giving a try. Yeah, good luck with that. Game of Thrones, ugh. Anyway. <laughs> Cody, are you ready to break down the episode? Hell yeah, I am. Oh my god. Oh, I'm so excited about this episode. There's so much to talk about. So yeah, we 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 should really get into it because this is gonna be a it's gonna be a doozy. So hey, look, there's an office building, and there's an office worker, and he seems to be worried, and he keeps checking the hallway among his um, among the cubicles, and he has a cool ass fish tank computer screen. That's really I love the choice to really focus it on it. <laughs> Just the 90s, or, well, I guess 2006 graphics. <laughs> Do you think that it's supposed to tie in with Luster's fish poster? Oh, I hadn't even thought about that. That's interesting. Huh, yeah. What if you're right and they're wrong? <laughs> and I love, you know, he, he checks the, uh, the hallway a couple of times, and <laughs> the last time he checks, Malvo, of course, appears like a goddamn ghost at the end of the row of cubicles. Uh, you know, the man says he'll pay it all back, and he's drug out of the office in front of co-workers by his tie. <laughs> yeah, when he first started getting dragged out, I was like, oh, is this, is he there on a Saturday? Is no one else there? And then all the people came out. I was like, wow, really? <laughs> just yeah, in Lord front of all of the co-workers. And I love the idea of people just standing there watching and not thinking to intercede at all. Yeah, because, like, would you, if that happened in front of you, would you, I mean, I wouldn't fuck with him. <laughs> if I liked the person. So yeah, he must not point. have friends in that office. I heard a, <laughs> a bit of trivia about Fight Club recently, where apparently some of the inspiration for that was Chuck Palahniuk getting, um, getting some type of bruising on his face from not starting a Fight Club, but... <laughs> a more normal activity. But when he went into work, no one questioned him on why there were bruises all over his face. Oh, like the social norms of it? Like he, he was... Yeah. Yeah, so this reminded me a little bit of that, where people are like, I don't want to even discuss what's happening here. <laughs> yeah, people just uh, taking a blind eye to certain stuff. And yeah. there's a... And we get a, a good sharp cut to the CCTV footage of Lauren dragging him out to the elevators and I believe to the parking garage. 
<laughs> which is going to tie in in a few minutes. And Lauren pulls out this weird knife that's like a tiger claw, it looks like. I, I, I'm sure there's like a name for that knife, but it's an interesting choice of knife. <laughs> I don't know enough about knives, but I'll trust you that it's a funky one. And he cut, yeah, he, and he cuts the man's clothes off, and you know the kid, the guy's saying, "Please, I have kids." And he strips him down, throws him in the trunk, and it's pretty cool. We get to see the uh, car crash from episode one from um, Iceman's perspective. I love how they're inside the trunk, even yeah. when the trunk opens. That's an easy spot for someone to be like, "Oh, let's move the camera out of the trunk now." But you're still in it, and you see him getting out. It's just really cool perspective. Yeah. And I also think it's an interesting choice by Lauren to, like, you know, he, he strips the guy's clothes off, but he leaves his boots on, which, you know, I mean, good for him. But it is an interesting choice. <laughs> well, what do you think Lauren's intention was with this guy? Was he... I don't know. He, I think in a later scene when Molly is interviewing his co-workers, they say different things like it's a gambling debt that he owed. And obviously this guy owes money to somebody. I mm. think I would I would venture to guess that Lauren is driving him to the person he owes money to and is as, just as an embarrassment he strips him down. But I don't know, honestly. And That makes sense. Maybe for a, a bit of torture. Yeah. With this this person okay <laughs> so anyway we uh smash cut and there's a great yeah there's a great uh smash cut of uh him you know running into the woods being out of breath and sitting by a stump and he's trying to cut he's trying to gather himself and then immediately cut to the next day when he's frozen solid <laughs> oh boy poor poor dude yep Nope. So Again, I our... wonder how quickly that happened. I feel like I would have curled up in a ball on the ground, like the fetal position at some point. But... You think. You just chill. But he just really literally. did not want to be seen by Lord. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, goddamn. And, uh, and we smash cut to after that. Speaking of smash cuts, Molly's driving down a uh, snowy, icy road. Who would have thought? For the credits. <laughs> And, uh, you know, after being taken off the um, other case by the cop of the century, Bill Oswalt, she's investigating the Iceman. I think she's go she goes to Duluth, right? Mm-hmm. The Iceman's identified as Phil. And he's called a nice guy, and he was just super. And Molly gets the security tape, and it's her first actual glimpse of Lauren Malvo. Unnamed wild that he is totally fine being on the security footage there mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just that ballsy that is like doesn't matter or right. maybe he he messed up i don't know it doesn't seem like lauren style to overlook a detail like that yeah really if i had to guess though it would, it seems like i mean lauren was just on a standard job you know trying to taking care of this guy, which he could have just gotten out of, obviously works out of Arizona, or at least that's where his, you know, Wrangler, I guess, is at. So he, he's, I think, 
he didn't care about appearing on CCTV because he wasn't expecting the series of events that unfolded to come about, you know, with Lester and everybody. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think being identified by look alone might not be yeah. a huge concern for him, especially if he's going by different names and all these places. Yeah, and obviously whoever, his, you know, whatever this system he works for, they're so, you know, they're so good of with setting him up with, uh, you know, cover stories and everything. You know, he's a preacher now. <laughs> is his is his real name Lorne Malvo? Or is that the name he used for the Duluth job? That's for you to say. What do you think? I don't know. <laughs> I would imagine it's not his name because probably not he, right. He'd probably have a different identity in each each town he went to. <laughs> Lauren's a great name, though. Yeah, we're Speaking not going to we're not going to change it up. <laughs> so, Lauren, uh, at this point, we cut to a uh, good old Don Chumps Chump. I don't know how to say his last name. Is a little stupid gym where he's teaching a women's fitness class. And Lauren straight up just walks in and shows him the bronzer on this on the uh, blackmail note. <laughs> yeah, you got bronzer on your blackmail note. No, <laughs> no pretense. Yeah, they and they, they find privacy in like the tiniest supply closet, and <laughs> Lauren proceeds to make fun of uh, good old Glenn Howerton as he kind of hyperventilates about being found out. <laughs> I love the quote. He's just like, I just, I just, I just wanted something for Don, you know? And that lovely accent. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we get the quote from Lauren saying, you made a choice, you're screwed, and this is the quote. Hold on, let me take that again. <laughs> <laughs> you made a choice, you're screwed, and this is the consequence. Me, I'm the consequence. And he tells Don that he works for the supermarket king. It's interesting that the wife wasn't aware of this at all. Yeah. And he's just doing it on, I think, their behalf. No, yeah, no, it's just for him. I yeah. think, right? Because, yeah. Don't know. <laughs> uh, Lauren picks up an exercise ball. This is just, you know, this is just good, good dark comedy where he just picks up an exercise ball and tells Don to squeeze it. <laughs> It's just goofy. And uh, says, I have two questions and one comment. And he asks, why $43,613? And uh, this is why I think Don literally did it on his own, because he just says he wanted to start a Turkish bath. Mm. Yeah. What's a Turkish bath compared to other types of bathhouses? Well, let me tell you, on our first episode of a Patreon exclusive, me and you are going to a Turkish bath together <laughs> to find out. <laughs> I think that's, wait, no, that's, the Russian baths are the one where they beat you with, like, tree branches, right? And then you do the polar plunge. I have no idea. I've been to a, I think, like, Japanese bathhouse in have you? San Francisco. Yeah. Mm. Um, but I don't know if they differ, like if the Turkish bath is just more of a Middle Eastern interior instead of. I'm sure uh, they have different techniques of 
yeah. spawing you. <laughs> I just, you know, this is the the Midwest. I'm curious where the the Turkish bath demand is. Oh man. But he, if Lauren would have let him talk, I'm sure we would have found out exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the yeah, that's the <laughs> next thing is he cuts him off as he's about to explain it and asks the second question is what do you know about the money? And uh, Don just basically says he doesn't know anything, but he, uh, the wife has told him that um, Stavros does lie about where he got his money. What do you think about that? I have no idea where, okay. where this is going. I'm sure I'll have more speculation. Yeah, ne- next episode, this, we're, 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 oh man, I, I don't even want to talk about it. Anyway, <laughs> and then the comment that he has the two those were the two questions the comment is you're an idiot good news i'm taking over (laughs) and uh don is kind of elated at this point because he was he was honestly you know i mean he was terrified yes and uh i would if i was blackmailing somebody i think having lauren on my side would be a real asset hmm yeah but it might be really dangerous, too. I don't know. Yeah, and, and Lauren says at that point, he says, uh, "You now you work for me. So he's just, he's taking it from, you know. And Lauren decides to come up with a new blackmail letter. So, and that's, uh, you know, the end of the, their little interaction there. And we, we uh, you know, get our first glimpse at Gus Grimley, for alliteration's sake. <laughs> By the way, also, um, so Gus is at his work computer, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, again, they're in, it's a Duluth police station, and there's a portrait of George W. Bush on the wall. Is this like a thing in police stations where they just have a picture of the president's face everywhere? I think it's a Fargo thing. But it's, they, had it in Far- they had it in Bemidji. They had it in Duluth. <laughs> yeah, it's well, everywhere. the... The George W. Bush portraits in Bill's office, too, right? Yeah. It's just, yeah, everybody has a portrait of George W. Bush hanging in the police stations. <laughs> maybe, I don't know. maybe it is. It's your, like, it's not your commander in chief if you're a police officer, but maybe they, they kind of feel that way as well. They're an extension. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. It government. just seems odd. <laughs> I wonder if it's just to, to date the show. Maybe Noah Hawley is just a big fan of George W. Bush. Well, isn't <laughs> didn't we talk about how season two has a lot of Reagan posters and oh, yeah. other? So I think it might just be to solidify the time period mm. in which the show is taking place. That makes sense. Because the George W. Bush era is very different from the Obama era. <laughs> Good old W. So um, anyway, he's at the uh, so he's at his computer and he finally decides to run Malvo's plates on the car and he sees that the car is Lester's, Lester Nygaard's from Bemidji. Um, you know, and he's, I Colin Hanks is great in this role because he really does play the reluctance well. I think, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think so. And just he he wants to do the right thing, but. He is terrified of Lauren Malvo, justifiably. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I think he 
I guess I would personally, even if I was scared of Lorne, I would probably do more research anyway. Yeah. And maybe try to do something more subtle. But I guess he's just really terrified or he's not very good as a police officer. And so he doesn't think to Uh, investigate further. (laughs) I guess that's what I would do is just having those resources. I might not make an actual attempt to go track this man down and arrest him. And he's just, he he just is also just so green and just, you know, I mean, I think there's kind of a reason they keep throwing him on animal control instead of keeping him on the force when the animal control guy calls in sick. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And speaking of which, we, (laughs) um, you know, Gus goes to speak with his lieutenant about it but his receptionist, who's a real weirdo and won't say the word bathroom out loud, tells Gus that the lieutenant's in the bathroom. <laughs> oh, sorry, I'm burping again. Jesus Christ. I was thinking, like, if you're the boss somewhere, like the lieutenant, you still have to go use a stall if you want to take a shit at work. That feels... <laughs> Like, there should be some upper-level... You think he deserves a private bathroom? Maybe not, but at least having private bath... Like, some options for individual bathrooms. Yeah. Because it really takes you down a peg. Unless you're Lorne. Um, You don't want to, like, poop in the same room as someone someone that's (laughs) below you. Well, he doesn't have that luxury, unfortunately. Because, uh... (laughs) Yeah, Gus... Gus super awkwardly goes into the bathroom as he was pooping because you know he wants to have this conversation and he can't wait two minutes <laughs> and he tell you know he he, he asks the lieutenant to talk and get, you know, the lieutenant says grimly aren't you animal control and he says no i just sub for them sometimes and he tells the lieutenant kind of like a lighter version of his interaction with malvo saying that he let him go with a warning yeah. And that the car belongs to one of the Bemidji victims. And when the lieutenant hears that, he he drops the log really quick and pulls his pants up. <laughs> By the way, uh, Tiffany, do you, do you recognize this lieutenant? I don't. Because you have seen season two. Right? Oh, yeah. Do you have any idea who this is? Is he one of the police forces that they join with towards the he's, end? I, oh gosh, I can't remember the exact role, but I think he's he's Lou's partner. Oh, and yeah. This is the same. Yeah, this is the same uh, character, not the same actor, but the same character. By the way, but he, we're not at season two yet, so that doesn't matter. <laughs> okay, I'll yeah, na- I'll try to keep track of it when we get into season two. Yeah, his name is Lieutenant Schmidt. So I think back in the day he was Detective Schmidt. Okay. And uh, so the lieutenant is uh, pissed because he, you know, says, you pulled over a stolen car and you let the guy go with a warning. But uh, Gus says, you know, the car was not listed as stolen and Gus had just checked this morning and saw that it was impounded. And uh, Schmidt instructs Gus to look through booking photos and to find the, you know, to find Lorne. And to call Bemidji about this group and has a great line about <laughs> how uh, 
you're going to call Bemidji and absolve the rest of us of any dipshittery. <laughs> I was so excited about them finally working together. Yeah. yeah because Molly will really figure out what's going on as soon as she has competent, semi-competent, I don't know, more mm-hmm. information. Yeah, just just being able, <laughs> just knowing facts <laughs> beyond what her stupid captain will give her. Oh, yeah. So we zoom in on Lester's fridge, and it says the key to life is happiness. Oh, also, um, when he says it's goddamn Sioux Falls all over again. Oh, yes. I wondered if that was a season two reference. You nailed it. <laughs> and it absolutely was. Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry. Yep. Detective Schmidt, he's been promoted. So Lester seemed very good in season two either. Like oh, not no. very competent at his job, so I guess this makes sense that <laughs> This basically the the whole the whole of it is like the Solversons are the only decent police in the whole state of Montana or Minnesota for that Mac for that for that fact. <laughs> so Lester's sitting at his kitchen table and he's recalling Pearl's horse shit and Vern catching him as he's drinking his morning coffee. And we see that the house is still a mess. Like, Vern's blood is still dried on the ground. You know, I mean, he cleaned it up eventually, right? I mean, he went to go stay with his brother, right? So For a little while, yeah. It seemed like he just didn't deal with any of that. Like, packed a bag and was like, all right. But get a paper towel. You know, I mean, wipe it up. Look, he he didn't (laughs) clean up any of that blood after he committed a murder. And it was very important to, you know, not have people see blood. But he didn't do it then. Why would he do it after? Why would you? Just why would you? And uh, he decides to go back to work. And uh, he gets a hug from a Montana dime piece. You know what I'm saying? The girl that he works with? Hell yeah. Yeah, she's cute. Hell yeah, she is. Is she into him? She seems very, like, a little, almost flirty. Or she's just very nice. I don't know. She is a very nice person. And she, you know, I mean, he... She he certainly likes him a lot more than his wife liked she, him. She sent so. him soup Yeah. after his wife died. And he thanks her for the soup as well. And, uh, oh, and, um, yeah, and so... Yeah, the manager, I think, is talking about bowling to the dime piece when Lester walks in. And they welcome Lester back, but at the same time, you know, they're kind of hesitant. But the manager says, you know, if Lester would take this uh, Gina Hess file off of his hands, it would do him a huge favor. Let's go see Kate Walsh. Oh, shit. <laughs> Gina Hess. And so Le- Lester goes to uh, get her to sign some papers, and we... You know, we get to the house, and of course the sons are shooting their what is it a for sale sign with a crossbow arrow. Uh, I just want to point out the line from Bo before he leaves is on account of Sam, her husband. He got murdered. <laughs> Such a fun oh, yeah, way to talk thing. about <laughs> someone. And yeah, of course the the Hess sons. You know, as soon as Lester pulls up, they're accosting him. And they ask, what do you want to do, my mom? <laughs> or do our mom or something? And it's just like, Jesus. They must be really used to that. It's fucking dopes. 
Because I thought that was outrageous. And then Gina Hess was doing like a strip tease on Lester. So. Oh, boy. Yeah, we're. Oh, boy. And yeah, as, as soon as she opens the door, she calls the two of them off. She's she's a great actress. She's amazing. And she's in a bathrobe. And as soon as she finds out he's from the insurance company, she's very welcoming to him. Yeah. <laughs> I like, um, sorry about the boys. They're animals. Mm-hmm. Really? They fart on everything. The walls, each other. <laughs> and, you know, just, she she explains as much as she needs to. And then always it turns back to, when can I get my money? Yeah. Even when Lester's trying to share condolences and, like, say that Sam and him went to high school together, she's just like, yeah, 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 that's great. But anyway, the money. I mean, this is better for Lester to not have to get into him telling lies about him and Sam. So (laughs) I was relieved for him each time she narrowed it back to her getting money. Mm Mm-hmm. And Lester says the process is uh, for insurance claims, it's different with murders, and he admits he's going through the same thing, and that they have to wait for a coroner's report. And Gina finally recognizes him as the victim of the, uh, you know, the whole thing in Bemidji. I think that's the point where she pours him a whiskey mm-hmm. while she, I think she's drinking, she's drinking like wine out of like a, <laughs> like a workout water bottle. <laughs> which is super cool and she compliments him but says he's a little small Talks I think about- that Lester is more attractive than Sam Hess I would I would very much like date Martin Freeman and I yeah? don't think I would date the other guy so yeah. big old gorilla <laughs> yeah not not my jam but she's also like really tall too so I could see that yeah her- she's definitely taller than than good old Lester. <laughs> but I've never been taller than uh, a guy before, so... That's because you're a little person. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I don't have that issue. <laughs> and so, yeah, Gina apparently met Sam in Vegas because she was a stripper there. And uh, she puts the mo- you know she puts the moves on Lester, talking about how they both have murder money coming in. <laughs> Does a cool little kickity-doo up onto the top of his chair says uh what's a girl got to do to get that money quick because i'll do anything yeah she just mentions like i'm stuck in the yukon with my two mongoloid sons mm-hmm. <laughs> i just think is a great line yeah and they're in the background of this scene of course playing with their crossbows and uh as she's flirting with lester i don't know which son's which do you know the what are the two sons names mickey is one of them and something else who knows i think it's the younger son who shoots mickey in the ass with a crossbow because he's looking at his mom putting her vagina in lester's face (laughs) uh yeah i also really like this line i've taken shits i want to live with more than them Mm -hmm. (laughs) and her reaction to her son being shot with a crossbow arrow is just uh, not again (laughs) (laughs) but uh as as Lester looks outside, he sees wrench and numbers in the tree line, watching him talk to Gina Hess. Yeah. So that's fun. I'm sure they're just they're just out for a stroll in the woods. That's so ominous. I would be <laughs> scared shitless if I saw them just yeah, watching me from the woods. <laughs> and then we get to meet the coolest guy of all time. Are you ready to meet the coolest guy of all time? 
Yeah. Lauren goes What's to... What's his name? I don't even... I, I don't know if they give him a name. He just has the... Probably not. Adderall dealer. Yeah, the raddest van with all the drugs and all the weapons and all the... Everything you'd ever want. <laughs> I like how he asked, you got a test? Mm-hmm. Like, this full-grown yeah. <laughs> man is here for a test. <laughs> Big final, need to pull an all-nighter? Like... God. I mean, obviously, adults go to school, but it just... I would think there are other. Yeah, he has. He, he, Lauren has a different reason for buying Adderall. <laughs> it's yeah. not education. And yeah, he's just a super cool guy. He also, you know, and he sells him the Adderall. Which one thing I thought was weird was like Lauren gives him like one bill that looked like I don't even know if it was a hundred dollar bill, but I figure like illicit drugs like in that quantity would. I feel like you should have paid him more. I don't know, but who knows? It's not like I've ever bought cocaine before. You know what I'm saying? Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe it's cheaper in in that area than yeah, 2006, other areas maybe. too. But, but man, I mean, good on you. And the cool guy tries to sell him a zombie apocalypse kit with like a bunch of rad stuff in, just in case. <laughs> it's a side business. Yeah. And uh, so that, you know, that's setting up some for a couple scenes from now. And then we get to see Molly meet her old friend. Hmm. I also like Lauren telling the Adderall dealer when he says that when the world gets all dog eat dog during the zombie apocalypse, Lauren lets him know that it's already dog eat dog. Yeah. (laughs) It's a red tide. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he definitely is living like he is in an apocalypse and is just playing by his own own rules of when it's appropriate to murder someone or not. Man, there's so much cool shit coming that I'm so excited for you to... <laughs> to <enjoy. laughs> anyway. <laughs> so Molly's at dinner with her friend. Super cool chick. Is this... Do you know who... The, is this lady from anything? I didn't recognize her either. Let's take a moment. Uh, would you mind looking up who the actress is? We can cut this out. Oh, yes. Okay. Found her. Her name is Patty Nickelbacher. <laughs> the character's name. <laughs> um, the actress has only been in five things. Really? Yeah. Wow. She was in something called The Center, a TV show called Theater People, I'm Not a Serial Killer movie, and Farmer of the Year. Movie, wow. I suppose. So this is like her biggest thing she's done, probably, right? Seems yeah. like. She looks familiar, though. Right? That's what I was, That's why I asked you to look her up, is just because, I mean, like... It, and she's great in this scene. Yeah. Nails the accent. <laughs> Almost yeah, offensively. Maybe, maybe she just, you know, wanted to do things other than acting. <laughs> but she could... I could easily see her becoming a, a great character actor. Yeah, because I mean, there's so many great quotes in this scene. Also, we get uh, we get the. I think this might. This is the first time we get the uh, title of the episode quoted by Molly. Molly says at one point when they're talking about the murder, she goes, "Oh, yeah, it's a muddy road." So. <laughs> yeah, is that like a phrase that people say? Um, I don't think I've ever heard that. 
it makes sense. It just yeah. doesn't. I think it just makes oh, sense. Oh, there's some trivia for it. Uh-oh. We can, we can get there. Oh, God. Yeah, we'll get that. We're going to that in the superlatives. So we can yeah. have our, our minds bended like the crocodile's fucking dilemma. <laughs> Listening back to that first episode, man, the crocodile's dilemma still makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. I... I would wonder if trying to understand it outside of a little paragraph of IMDb trivia might make it a little easier to understand. <laughs> Send me the no- no- the novelization of The Crocodile's Dilemma, and I probably still won't understand it. But and I uh... bet Wikipedia has a better breakdown. <laughs> so um, Patty's here to meet up with molly and she's just you know just kind of recap you know i think they're they were high school friends or something right that seems yeah old friends they haven't she, talked she com- in a while yeah and she compliments uh you know molly's uniform and she talks about how she divorced ted because he fucked his personal trainer and now she's doing online dating she got a great haircut dated a man with a hair lip <laughs> and uh, also someone who stole all her panties but right now she's dating Roger. She's been with him for six months, and he took her to Acapulco, <laughs> where uh, <laughs> you know, a spider yeah. laid eggs in his neck. I like the line um, when Molly asks, "How's Ted?" and she says, "Good," and then takes a long pause before we're divorced now, as if that wouldn't be the first thing that you say. You say <laughs> she's just like. Yeah, he's fine, and then... That's good. <laughs> actually. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, no, this is just... A, again, like I was saying, like, this is the first episode where there's, like, scenes that aren't... You, you know, we're not watching Vern Thurman die in this episode. There's just scenes that you can actually just enjoy for their comedic effect and just the feel-good moments. Yeah. Because this is just the goofiest scene. I, lo- I, I like, love them. Um, her note about one guy stealing all of her panties. Yeah. When when I was younger, oh no, we got a we got a dog, and this dog liked to destroy underwear, and underwear. I was left like without any underwear, and I had to rebuild. Like I have to go <laughs> out and buy all new underwear. It was so annoying. Like I didn't have a single after like six months or something. What, 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 I didn't have a single <laughs> single pair that I had before we got that dog. How did this dog and, get to it? Did you have a drawer? Uh, be like on the floor or something. Oh my or, god. Um, so it's really frustrating to have to <laughs> completely restock all of your underwear. So I'm sympathetic to you feel for Patty. This woman. Yeah, and I think you know a dog taking my underwear is. Not nearly as weird as yeah. a, a human man. I mean, it's still weird. What was this dog's name? Nikki. Oh, I remember Nikki. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but she was younger. You know, like She was kind of puppy-like still. I'm, I was going to laugh if the dog's name was Ted. <laughs> oh, Nikki. Damn it. Oh, and then... <laughs> So yeah, we get the great scene with Patty and Molly. And hey, can I ask you a question? Yep. 
Why did you say before we started recording that this next scene is your favorite scene in the whole episode? Where Lauren meets the uh, Rottweiler. Why did you say this is your favorite scene? It is not my favorite scene. I did not say that. <laughs> don't put don't put dead dogs in my mouth. So yeah, your favorite scene. Lauren is outside standing on a uh, like I think on the rim of a fire pit. This house is really nice too. I oh, yeah. thought maybe it was Sam Hess's, but it was even nicer than that. It felt like a the supermarket kings. It makes sense. But very lavish home. Mm-hmm. And King the guard dog runs out through the dog door, meets Lauren on the fire fire pit, and he's got his uh, claw knife. Yeah. And I knew this was gonna happen. <laughs> Luckily, the uh, dog being dead at the end of the scene just looks like a dog sleeping yeah. with some like red in the snow, which made it a lot easier for me to. It's not handle. a violent Look, death. Yeah, it looked just like when my dog is sleeping. <laughs> like no, no difference to me in in that. So at least it seemed relatively. Uh, humane, if you can, if you can call it that, didn't make any noise. What What would you do or say if Lauren Malvo killed your dog? I might kill him. You know what I would do? What would you do? I would say, "Is that Billy, Billy Bob Thornton?" <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I want to do this podcast with you anymore. <laughs> Proud of myself for that one. <laughs> So in that scene, we get um, Lorne very sneakily changing out his medication to include the the very high-dose Ritalin. Yeah, this is a great... Uh, I, I love this scene, don't you? Yeah, he's... Like, I know he's going to get out, but it's just so... He's so confident that he will yeah. before he turns right around the corner. And it's just Even tense. opening and closing that door. Nice and quiet. <laughs> yeah, and it's just, yeah, and it's it's just such a awkward like it's tense, but he's so calm and collected. Yeah. And I think the medication, if I remember correctly, on the on the bottle it just said acetaminophen, which is just aspirin. Interesting. And he swaps it. It out seemed for like Adderol. a prescription bottle. Do you do you need a prescription for acetaminophen? I'm sure you can get one. Hmm. But also, yeah, you can just buy it. Maybe it's like a high, higher grade dose. You know. One like time, a- one time, Tom went to the doctor for a sore throat, and he thought it was like throat cancer. And they were like, "Oh no, it's just a sore throat. Do you want us to write you like a prescription for aspirin?" So apparently, they do that. <laughs> he didn't take the prescription, but they offered it to him. So. Oh, son of a bitch. That hypochondriac. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, this is, it's filmed amazingly, too. Like, I love Oliver Platt, like, walking around in the background. And just, you know, just as Malvo closes the door, you know, Stavros is calling for his dog. And he goes to the back door to see the body lying next to it, the fire pit with a pool of blood coming from around the neck. Do we get a look at what the note says? Not in this scene. We just see the note laying there next to the dog. Okay. God damn it. 
And, uh, and then we're back at the assurance place. Yep. Right? Yeah, Molly's driving down a long road and listening to an ad for Beaumont. And uh, we also see Wrench and Numbers driving a super noisy car for some reason. I don't know why they have such a piece of shit car. Uh, and I Maybe think it's noisy because they have that giant ice drill in the back seat and it's makes like sense. <laughs> weighing their car down. It would make sense. And uh, yeah, and then we let Lester's in the uh, bathroom at the insurance agency, and he's fucking with his hand. That is so gross. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, have you ever had like a staph infection or something like that? No. Are we just, getting into a personal story? Here? No, no. Well, let me tell you this. Just, I, just out of I, I don't think you would mind me telling the story, but I'll I won't say his name. But one of my friends once had such a bad staff infection on his leg that and he he was in a band and he played a show with it on his leg and then immediately afterwards i had to drive him to the hospital and it ended up being MRSA, which is Ugh. medication it's a medica- medication resistant staph infection i think is what it is mm-hmm. and like he had to get like i've his, watched Grey's anatomy yeah, yeah you know what's up <laughs> <laughs> and yeah like he oh god i remember he couldn't even like stand without just screaming in pain basically and like they had to like drain it and give him stitches and they were saying like if he hadn't gone to the hospital he would have lost his leg <laughs> it's yeah. always wild to me when a some type of cut or wound on someone's body just can't heal itself yeah. Because with with so many things in, in modern medicine, you can get some stitches for things and things mm-hmm. typically clear up on their own. Yeah. Um, so when someone can like die from something like just getting infected. Yeah, everybody feels just used like to the, die. the dark ages. <laughs> you just used to die when that would happen to you. Like, um I know it's not real life, but <laughs> that's seen in Game of Thrones when uh, Khal Drogo just Ugh. gets a cut on his mm-hmm. his pectoral and that <laughs> kills him and it like it doesn't even seem like that big of a deal compared to all these other things that happen but well he was also cursed by that witch right wasn't that part of it well wasn't I don't know I thought that he was like he, she sought that help because he was already struggling with the infection but maybe. But they took it very seriously. Like, that was a big deal that he could get infected from that cut. Welcome back to the Game makes... of Thrones podcast with Tiffany and Cody. <laughs> you know, I would love to do, a, like, a Game of Thrones rewatch with you. Oh, God. It's going to um, happen one day. Don't worry. It'll happen. I'm not, I'm not ready to revisit the later <laughs> seasons yet, but someday. I know how angry you are about it. I was actually kind of fine with the last season. We'll talk about it another time. No, yeah. No need to rehash that. So Lester's hand is disgusting. And he winces in pain in the bathroom. Is is there a bullet in it? Or is it just a wound from... Shotguns uh, have little pellets that they release. And so when when Lorne shot Vern, one of the pellets got lodged in Lester's hand. And so there is a piece, like a little BB of metal in Lester's hand. And That's, he was, it seemed like he was trying to squeeze it out of his hand in this scene, right? It's gotta be, yeah, and just, uh, I but, feel the but pain. But it didn't seem to be, like, Ugh. he didn't have enough time. 
maybe i don't know it's just it's probably just searing pain it's so it's got to be so bad because it's so infected yeah and so i I can't imagine and the uh, dime piece knocks on the door and asks if lester wants anything from arby's (laughs) the whole basically the whole office leaves for arby's except for lester who walks out of the bathroom and sees a you know just two nice gentlemen standing there looking for insurance I would be scared shitless if I was all alone with those two. <laughs> and um, they don't really, they don't say anything to him. They just stand there and look menacing as he's trying to talk to him. And the phone rings, Lester answers, and it's from Duluth. The Duluth impound informing him of his car. And by the way, here's some Christmas bells in this scene as well. You know I love my Christmas. Yeah, I feel like show. that's a. I feel like it's a, a Lester sound, actually. I think it's just. Yeah, I think you're right, but I also think it's just the sound of like. It's just letting you know that, something somebody in this scene is up to no good, <laughs> and so There's yeah, like it, shenanigans happening. Shenanigans, exactly. <laughs> I'll try to find the title uh, for that that sound cue because there are several that are kind of tied to specific characters. Yeah. So. And I think he, you know, he kind of tries to play it down so that they don't know who he's talking to as if it's just like a customer or something. And finally he hangs up and Wrench uh, is, it taps him on the shoulder and signs to him. But, you know, of course, Lester doesn't know sign language. And um, Numbers just says to him, Sam Hess. And um, as they take their first kind of steps towards (laughs) threatening Lester, there's a knock on the door, and it's Molly. Who definitely saves Lester in this scene. Absolutely. You know, police officer at the door. And they feign interest in an insurance quote, and they say, Talk soon, Lester, as they exit. And uh, Molly shows interest in insurance as well. That's what, you know, she's trying to... (laughs) She wants to talk to Lester but she's obviously Lester has exemplified in the past that he has no interest in talking to her this scene is why Molly is a candidate for MVP this episode because it is so skillful you like it that she yeah she goes in there she's completely disarming with him she's mm-hmm. not she's not trying anything mm-hmm. and you know the the drop of the paper is a little bit obvious, but, you know, it, it gets the point across mm-hmm. perfectly for him. And <laughs> she doesn't need to, you know, like, come across like she's actually making him uncomfortable. Yeah, she she's she's a great... Uh, <laughs> in, in real life, she's a great actress, but in this scene, in character, she's a great actress. Like, this is such a smart move when she's not allowed to actually interrogate him. Yeah. So. The observation just, of his reactions. Yeah. Very impressed. Mm-hmm. Especially when Lester is going to have a very obvious reaction to everything that is going on around this. Yeah. So. And, and obviously in the manila envelope that she drops on the ground, the thing on top is the CCTV still of Lauren Malvo that Lester sees and probably has a whole internal crisis about. (laughs) 
He's also, Lesnar's a terrible salesman. Like, I know he's nervous because uh, Wrench and Numbers were basically threatening him um, a, a moment ago. But it's just like, he doesn't seem to have any information that he can share about insurance and is really just trying to like get her out the door, but in such a bad way, he like, I don't know. Yeah, you know, he, he, he sticks to the basics. It's clear. It's very clear why he is not a, a better salesman. And I don't think it's the tie. Man. I'm so glad I'm watching this TV show with you. <laughs> God, there's because this show is so full of weird twists and stuff that I, I love. I love your insight on things like this, and I just I can't wait for future episodes. <sighs> Man, so yeah, and oh, and even just the walk, you know, as he's showing Molly out, and she steps out to the street, and she makes. You know, she looks, she gives him a stern look, and he says bye, and she doesn't. And it's just like, it's just that face of like, I know you, I know what you're up to, you motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. And we cut back to, after after that scene, we get back to um. Billy Bob. I think it's at, Billy Bob is invited to Stavros Milos's house. And he's looking at a painting of an ice scraper. I think that's a window scraper. You know what that is? Is it a reference to something else? He's just looking at a painting in Stavros's office, and it's of an ice scraper for a win- like a for when your windows are iced over in the winter. Yeah, I was wondering if that was a, like a reference to something else. No, not at all. Anyway. So, and then, you know, Stavros' <laughs> office also has a awful self-portrait of himself in some stained glass, as if it were a cathedral. Yeah, and I, it does seem like he kind of fancies himself a a priest or, like, a godly man based on this. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Stavros comes in with his muscle. What's his name? Shev- Shemchenko or something like that? Yeah. Semen- Semenko. I don't know. Who cares? Yes. It's a douchebag. And he shows, and we, I think we, do we see the new ransom note with the price of a million dollars on it instead of the 43000 I don't remember, but that's certainly talked about. And we see uh, Stavros take his aspirin, which also. He's sweating. Yeah, and it really bothers me because he chews his aspirin. Who the yeah. fuck would do that? <laughs> Swallow it, weirdo. I don't. Uh, I don't like the taste of like any pills. Yeah, so if I'm taking what? something, I need to get water in my mouth ASAP to swallow it down. So the thought of chewing something. Oh, God. <sighs> yeah. So it, yeah, that just bothers me. Chewing aspirin. Well, it's, uh, it's technically not aspirin, but still. And uh, oh, and he said he sees Les, uh, <laughs> Lester. He sees Lauren looking at the stained glass, and he says, uh, "You like that?" It's St. Lawrence, the patron saint of hard asses. Uh, before that, we get a little bit of discussion about the, like, who who's behind it. Mm-hmm. And um, Lorne is trying to pin it on the wife. And Stavros is saying no. And then, um, and then Lorne asks, who else knows about the money? And he's saying, nothing to know. And he said, must be something. He said, no, nobody knows. And then um, the next one says, like, nobody can know. It's impossible. 
which feels like we're we're getting closer to an admission that there is something to know, but I don't know what what there is to know. Yet. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't feel like there's enough pieces for me to <laughs> to make guesses, but I'm on the lookout. So you have no guess as to where he got his money from? Uh, I mean... If you had to Mer- guess. I Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he doesn't That's seem fair. to have any particular crimes relating to him. Okay. But he could be doing all kinds of crimes. I, I mean, he could be... <laughs> is... He could be related to all the stuff going on with like Sam Hess and the all of that, but I don't see any real connection to that. That's just fair. Both things happening in the same part of the country. So there's a lot of moving pieces going on right now. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um,. Lauren proposes that he move in with Stavros until this is over for protection's sake. Does he only have one dog? Because if he has more dogs, I'd be very worried for them. It's just the one dog. Spoiler, almost. But, I mean, it's just... King, King's gone. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure Lauren will find other things to kill on that property. I mean, he's definitely... Uh, he's going to get into some... As you said, shenanigans. <laughs> yeah, there's some fun to be had, and uh, we then we get we get a cool scene. Uh, you know, I, I like I like every time Gus and his daughter are together on screen. Yeah, we we cut to Gus Grimly finishing a book of mug shots at his desk as as, as Greta is like bored watching him do it. Greta's haircut is oh man, I think we talked about it in the last episode. She's a great little actress. Her hair at least is better than Lauren's bad bangs. I don't know. That's we can go head to head on <laughs> literally and figuratively on who has the worst hair in this show. I think that <laughs> a, a, an awkward haircut on a child seems more reasonable than on a full-grown adult. Yeah, fair enough. So that's where the kids go through a lot of weird <laughs> hair stages. It's a rough one though, because it's literally like the, it's so round, and yeah. <laughs> anyway, so he finishes the book of mug shots. Doesn't see Lauren, so he wrestles with the uh, call he has to make to Bemidji, and he admits to uh, Greta the mistake he made. And uh, Greta says that maybe instead of a phone call, it might be better to do it in person. And so um, I think they decide, yeah, actually drive to Bemidji. And we cut to Molly presenting Lauren's CCTV photo to a chief fuckface. Tells him about the bait she threw out for Lester, but uh, Chief Garbage Can shuts him down. Or shuts her down, excuse me. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, I mean, this is where she was so spot on mm-hmm. with Lester. And then she should have realized that this was going to... I mean, I guess she thought that she had enough, which she really does, but... Yes. More than enough, Man. Jesus! And he just he shuts her down. So it's just. <laughs> but but she has the resources, I think, to get to even like work within the law to get more information about Lester. Yeah, but it's just so amazing how well they wrote this awful police chief. Like Bill Oswald is the worst policeman of all time, and he's just such a disrespectful idiot, and he turns his back on her. 
when she's trying to convey the evidence to him. You know, it's just, oh, God. Well, and I think that it's um, a kind of indicative of a lot of small town places where if you know somebody from school and you grew up with them, you just want to believe the best in them. God. And you cannot question whether or not like someone actually made a mistake and just wanting to absolve people it's amazing because of whatever personal relationship <laughs> i guess and getting mad Jesus. at the uh any type of um speculation even if it has merit he shuts her down right it's when uh i think shortly after you know there's a little bit of a time jump but that's when gus and greta arrive in bemidji at the police station Gus is kind of coached by Greta as they walk into the, the the PD, and Gus speaks with the station clerk and says the name Lester Nygaard, which Molly is in the background doing some work and hears what he has to say, and uh, he tells he tells Molly kind of the same soft story he told his lieutenant, but uh, and it's good that he talked to. To Molly, I mean, I have no oh, idea yeah. if Bill would have handled this. Um, yeah, thank God. In a, a work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Bill would have done nothing with the information, but I don't think he would have gotten mad about him not following up on proper like police work because he's not ever mm-hmm. gonna scold someone. But um, <laughs> but Molly, I think, is also someone who would be like, I don't care if you made a mistake. I like if you're here to work with me now. I will take it because I have no one on my team. Yeah, she just wants she just wants to know the information. And so it's it's a good person for him to Yeah. To bring this to because it's a very safe space. He's not gonna get in trouble with her. Yeah, and she she finds out immediately that Lester lied about his car being in the shop for work and instead it was impounded in Duluth. And you can see, you know, kind of the the dots connecting in her in her mind. And uh, she bring, I think she brings Gus to her desk and shows Gus the CCTV image of Lauren, and Gus confirms that that was the man driving Lester's car. And at that point, it's kind of it's kind of a, you know, Gus kind of breaks down, and he comes clean about being threatened when she asks if he, if he got the uh, license and registration from uh, the driver. And Molly, I think, init- she kind of shows a little bit of judgment on her face. I don't know. But as uh, he's explaining it, Greta walks in and asks for money for the vending machine. And uh, I think Molly kind of connects his fear with his family. And she offers Greta a free token instead of him paying for something from the vending machine for her. I also feel like this is an, a nice little parallel where um, she's seeing this male police officer with a young girl mm-hmm. and there's the mom is not at home and they don't say what happened to the mom um so she could guess maybe that or she could uh it could possibly be that she died similar to her own mother yeah and just seeing like knowing that her dad has been fearful for her mm-hmm. most of most of her life and really understanding so you're right i think there's that like she's sympathetic because she kind of sees her dad in this guy yeah yeah and yeah and after after greta left she uh molly did ask him you know how old she is damn it how old she is and you know he says 12 and is their mom at home and he says no it's just been us for 10 years now 
So, uh, yeah, they don't specify what happened to the mom, but apparently whatever it was, it happened when Greta was two. Oh, yeah, it's just us ten years now. Mm-hmm. Do they, do we get an answer? I don't recall right now. I don't, I, I'm pretty sure it's left ambiguous, but hey, we'll see. I feel like in a <laughs> lot of, a lot of different things, the, um, the dad has to be a, a widower. Because if they just, like, divorced their wife, then they look bad. <laughs> and the single dad always has to, you know, look kind of charming. So yeah. it, But, I mean, I guess he also, she also could have, like, taken off on him. Yeah, who knows? And, but, yeah, just uh, pointing out the... Meanwhile, Colin Hanks is out here looking at bitches through the side view, you know, the, the window of his apartment. I don't know. Uh, I think that, you know, Molly does some really great police work in this episode, but she also, even though she's really awkward with her friend talking to her, who is an awkward person, um, she just has so much, like, social grace in this scene at the diner. Mm. And, you know, in general with with Gus and Greta, like, when they get to the the diner, she's making jokes, and she just is so obviously very comfortable in this in the place that her dad owns. But yeah, yeah, she she invites them uh, to lose for a burger and a milkshake. <laughs> um, and so yeah, they just um, Gus and Greta have a great little scene before you know before they even get the menus. You know, we're like, I think Greta Greta kind of realizes that Gus is. I don't even remember what he said ex- He said exactly, but when Lou gives them the menus, he says, just you two? And, he, and uh, Greta goes, oh no, we're waiting for a pretty lady, not knowing that uh, the pretty lady is Lou's daughter. <laughs> mm. Yeah. <laughs> That's fun. And Lucy's, oh, and, and, and Lucy's his Duluth uniform, and they talk about Lieutenant Schmidt being a prick, and he references Sioux Falls again. Yeah, says so kind of a prick, and he said that's the one. I don't remember him being a prick. I remember him being incompetent. Well, that's, you know. Uh, but all the pricks died. Never mind. <laughs> We're not going to What are you talking about? Get into season two. Nothing happened Nothing in the happened. series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so, yeah, Molly shows up, and uh, there's milkshakes all around. Um, I like the better make it a double <laughs> milkshake front. Yeah, and Molly kind of picks on Greta as well, asking about uh, if she has a boyfriend. <laughs> you know, it's just, it, this is a fun scene. Again, like I said, this is the first time we're having like a, this is the first episode where we're seeing a scene where you can kind of like breathe and be like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that I was worried that it would be awkward, mm-hmm. that it would be just as awkward as the conversation that she has with her friend. But even the, you know, when she talks about the spiders (laughs) and laying eggs in a person's, in, in a person's neck, it seems like at first they're put off by it and that it could be just them being like, Oh, you're, you're super weird. What's going on? But they totally are into this weird fact and they're you know having fun with it on the same same level so it's just i i don't like cringe comedy so much i don't mind it in like small doses but it's not it's not my thing like other people like the office yeah um 
<laughs> and so it's just really nice to see see people like genuinely enjoying each other's company. Yeah, they just have a nice little uh, milkshake burger party at Lou's. And uh, the final scenes are um, it's a it's a it's it's an interesting ending to the episode where there's a voiceover from Lauren and he reads it. Uh, so Lester shows up at his brother's house. And I think he surprises his brother, who has earbuds in, and he walks into the garage where uh, his brother is, you know, dealing like doing something in his gun cabinet. And yeah. there's a taser on the table, and Lester activates it and then pockets it immediately as the brother yep. turns around. And uh, Lester being sly for once in his life. Yeah. <laughs> All, all, all the while, Lorne is reading a passage from um, Exodus in the Bible. Oh, and he asks him, um, so which one makes the biggest hole mm-hmm. about the guns? And we get a you know slow-mo shot of Lester shooting the big gun. <laughs> and I, I thought this was interesting because I wrote down some notes here because um, I, I know this passage because I took weird religious classes in high school and college, or community college. <laughs> Do you want me to read the whole thing and then we can talk about it? Sure. And what 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 I think is interesting about this, let me just say real quick, is it's Exodus two five through twelve, with a couple of lines missing, and it's also from the Douay Reims translation, which was a translation of the Bible from the fifteen to sixteen hundreds. So I think it's interesting. interesting. That, yeah, it's, I don't know why they would go with that one, but maybe it's just because it is the most interestingly worded version of these passages yeah well well i'll read it and then we can see if there's some stuff that that stands out and behold the daughter of pharaoh came down to wash herself in the river and her maids walked by the river's brink and when she saw the basket in the sedges she sent one of her maids for it and when it was brought she opened it and saw within an infant crying and having compassion on it she said This is one of the babes of the Hebrews. And she adopted him for a son and called him Moses, saying, because I took him out of the water. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out among his people and saw their affliction. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, his brethren, looking this way and that way and seeing no people. Moses slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And that's the end of... and so, as he says, slew the he, Egyptian, I believe, is when there's a scene of Stavros in the shower and the water turns from clear to red. Right? Yeah. And we also get a little scene of uh, Wrench and Numbers in a ice fishing shed as he's reading that as well. Yeah, so I think definitely this tells uh, I, the very end um, of him... Of Moses basically taking revenge on the Egyptian yeah. as something that Lorne feels pretty passionate about in his his system of of values. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that anything about finding Moses and taking him in and his uh, like upbringing relates to? anything that we've seen so far yeah well <laughs> is lester the infant um there is is there going to be something there's more to come future? and 
Okay. Uh, well, maybe he's, uh, you know, Glenn Howerton is the the infant as well. <laughs> he's just trying to take in all these people, weak-willed people, to turn them into murderers, so. Well, water, water turning to blood is, um, <clears throat> it's kind of the first, it's, it's not the first plague, but it's a plague that yes. is now being, that is, it's a biblical plague that is now being, bestowed <laughs> for lack of a better term term upon the supermarket king <laughs> yeah which is great because of his religious values yes and so he, and um we also close out on lauren you know obviously it, it shows two you know containers of blood from a butcher shop in the back of his car so we know it's lauren who bloodied him <laughs> i i didn't have any question about that yeah but I guess the the thing that was worthwhile for me to note is that he used like pig's blood mm-hmm. or some other type of animal rather than actually killing people, uh, which I didn't think he would do. But it's just good to have that confirmation, I think, that <laughs> me, he just bought the blood. Yeah, let me ask you this. What did you first think when you saw the water turn to blood in the shower before you knew that it was Lauren? Uh, I was it. like, oh, that's fucking cool. <laughs> I think um, I'll, I'll reveal myself here, but I got um, I got a little high like in the <laughs> middle of this episode. Maybe before. I, I don't know. Uh, and when we get to this end montage, I was just living for it. <laughs> like, I loved the scene of Lester and his brother and um, Shooting the gun. Shooting the guns. And it's just so slow and dramatic. Like, that's not necessary at all. But they included it. Yeah. You know, just, like, even where did they go to to shoot guns? It doesn't matter, <laughs> but it's... And I almost even, like, love seeing Lester just... And that's the most excitement he's shown so far. And he's there with his brother who also seems to genuinely like him in that moment enjoy himself for once (laughs) and i think there's some like classical music right or at least yeah there's yeah there's kind of intense music happening Mm -hmm. and then that that montage or then when it gets to the the blood it's just so visually striking Mm -hmm. so i was just living for it but I think I had seen the blood come out of the shower in one of the episodes that you and Tom watched together. Oh. So I wasn't totally surprised by that. Darn it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but I no. mean, it... it it's a great ending. Falls, it falls right in line with Lauren Malvo as a prankster, so... Yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> And there is more to come. Holy shit. Okay. So we'll get into some of our wrap up here. Mm -hmm. As promised, we have some trivia on the title. I'm just reading it from IMDb, so hopefully it makes sense once I finish. (laughs) The title refers to a Zen koan, koan, K-O-A-N. Two monks are traveling together down a muddy road. 
They meet a beautiful oh, young woman who is unable to cross the road. One monk lifts her across the road, and the two monks return to the temple. The second monk then objects, saying that monks do not go near females, particularly if they are young and beautiful, and asks why he helped the girl. The first monk replies, I left the girl by the road. Are you still carrying her? Can't a muddy road just be a muddy road for once? <laughs> we gotta get into these goddamn riddles. <laughs> Do you have any idea what Yeah, I I'm confused. God damn it. It's a muddy road. God damn it. That's all it is. <laughs> I don't know what I left the girl by the road. There's a crocodile. And the crocodile thinks it's a rooster. And so the monk has to not tell the crocodile what the rooster is if he gives the rooster back. <laughs> there's another there's another trivia bit here on the same same thing, Let's but it explains it. it as um, although it is forbidden for the monk to have anything to do with women, the monk's action can be construed as an act of kindness rather than a breach of the rules. So I guess it's about your own value system versus the rules of your community so that hmm. certainly tracks with what we've seen yeah um oh boy and that's all all we have for i think interesting trivia fair enough let's get into some of the uh which my things favorite lines yes yeah. you li- you you did all of these, so go ahead. And, yeah, just just cool. Just there's a couple good ones where it's just yeah, it's Lorne Malvo when he has uh, Don Chump in the uh, in the storage closet, and just saying you made a choice, you're screwed, and this is the consequence. Me, I'm the consequence. <laughs> and um, just because I like the word, it's you know, Lieutenant Lieutenant Schmidt. Schmidt. Yeah. Asking um, Gus Grimley to call Bemidji to absolve the rest of us any of any dipshittery. I I noted that that word as well. <laughs> I think it's right up there with. Uh, oh, I don't even remember what it was now. Scofflawry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> was what we had in a previous episode. And an unguent. <laughs> I guess when you're. Um, you're, you've been a police officer for a very long time. You get to make up crazy words you for sure do. people breaking the law. And it's goddamn Sioux Falls all over again. <laughs> Another great quote from I can't, Lieutenant Schmidt. I can't wait to talk about season two. Why? What happens to season two? There's a season two of this show? Mm. <laughs> and just the quote from Gina has, What's a girl got to do to get all that money quick? Because I'll do anything. And she throws her leg up on the chair. <laughs> Have you seen... I guess you haven't seen Umbrella Academy. I haven't, no. I'll watch it she's eventually. Really, she's really cool in that. <laughs> um, she's... It's, it's a good role for her. She's... I mean, you're gonna like her... Oh, man, she has, so, she has so much more coming, too. In this season. You're gonna like her. Okay. Gonna keep like all right. You want to put your contenders here for best death? I mean, there's there's no contenders really. We see 
it's it's light on the deaths this this week. We we do see the Iceman fill his death kind of, even though it's time cut. And I also wrote down the good old pupper king. And uh, for that fact, I also wrote down your concern for Lorne Malvo as a person because I'm pretty sure you hate him now. <laughs> you know. He's a good character, and I I just appreciate that I didn't have to see the dog actually get murdered, and it seemed like he did it in a pretty... Humane? Pretty chill way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't condone doggy death, but I think that Lorne is still interesting enough to where that doesn't affect me quite the same way okay. that other, other dog deaths have. Okay. So... Uh, I'm definitely going to go with, like, saddest death, uh, King. But it's also a good... I think one of the qualities of a, of a good death on this show is that it's dramatic. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, really feels kind of, um, like, visually interesting. And the the reveal of that death is always kind of fun. And the way that King is laid there with the note feels very striking yeah there's you know it's just he there's no there's not even a fight that's been put up there's no barking there's no growling it's just he walks outside sees him the next thing you know and yeah and i gotta give some virtual treats to that puppers for being a very good actor (laughs) he laid there Mm -hmm. really well Mm -hmm. he plays dead very well (laughs) <laughs> yeah, my dog would not would not succeed in that type of working environment. Oh, so. all is pretty aloof. There was a couple times when yeah. I was up there that I was I looked over and I was like, "Is Olive dead?" <laughs> <laughs> nope, she's just sleeping. <laughs> yeah. This so okay. We and we talked before the episode about episode MVP because you said you had a very defined pick. Do you know what my pick is? Well, I wrote down. Uh, most I, I, let's let's cut the Adderall salesman out of it. Because let's go all women this week. My choices for episode MVP would have to be either Molly, Salverson, Gina Hess, or Greta Grimley. And who do you pick? Uh, I have to go Molly. She kills it as a police officer, <laughs> and then she kills it with being just a nice person to this you know fellow police officer and his daughter. His dork. Yeah, and not that, you know, like, she has to be particularly, like, warm and open towards Gus, but the fact that she's doing that for Greta is really nice, (laughs) so. Yeah. And she's just good at it. She does all of it very well. All right, so Molly gets episode three. Would you look at that? And I mean, I think I I had wanted to give it to Molly previously for being like really on her shit so i feel like she's earned this by by having come close in previous weeks are you gonna go with molly yeah i think you make a great point and i like the fact that these that the three best characters i would say in this episode are all women actors i i you know i want to give it to greta because she is the voice of reason in gus's world but at the same time, I, she doesn't make as many great decisions as Molly does in this episode. And neither does Gina Hess. Yeah, I think they both have... 
I think Gina and Adderall salesman have some <laughs> classic moments that you're just gonna remember for them being funny and weird. Maybe um, they'll be contenders again on a later episode. Yeah, and Greta is is a good uh, guiding source for for Gus, I think, but <laughs> not as active as Molly. Fine, Molly, Molly gets Molly it. is single-handedly solving so many crimes. Yeah. Maybe maybe when we get to the end of the season, we can pick out some of our like single scene characters that just were kind of fun. Yeah, sure. So Adderall Salesman can be up for a, a later award. I feel like there's a ton of just random people that are only there. They're only on screen for a few minutes. Oh, man. So. You just wait. You just wait. All right. So I think that's the episode. Nailed yeah. it. We nailed it. All right. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Fargon Conclusion. Next week, we'll be covering Season 1, Episode 4, Eating the Blame. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at FargonPod. You can email us at FargonConclusionPod at gmail.com. If you have something nice or terrible to say, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And you can find me on Instagram at ShamePrayer and listen to my band, Bold Villain, on all streaming platforms. You can find me on Twitter at TEAflow or check out my website, TiffanyFlowers.co. And until next week, don't shoot your brother in the ass with a crossbow, please. I'll see what I can do. <laughs>